Good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming out. It's end of February. It's cold, threatening ice, and uh, you're still here. That's awesome. Good for you. Um, tonight, we're going to continue on with our walk through the life of Jesus. Uh, we're on to his first miracle. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1 uh, through verse 11. So this is uh, Jesus turns water into wine. And it seems like if people know nothing about the Bible, they still know, well, Jesus turned water into wine. So, and we'll get so to that. So that when they argue with the Baptists. Yeah, so no, spo <laughs> no spoiler alert. We, we will address that later. Um, but this is Jesus turning the water into wine. So, again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 2. Um, so, on the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan. In Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind, that, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. When Jesus, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So let's start with the where. Where does this take place? Um, it says uh, Canaan in Galilee, which is a couple, seven to nine miles, I believe, north of Nazareth, and which is Jesus grew up in Nazareth. So um, just by geographical location. If Jesus grew up in Nazareth, most likely he would have known the people in Canaan at this wedding. Um, if they were invited to the wedding, gives us an indication that they knew the people getting married. He didn't just randomly happen upon a wedding and, oh, Mary happened to be there and said they ran out of wine. Basically from here to a little bit outside of St. Clair. Yeah. Not too far away. Walking distance. Walking that distance. was a pun because everything was walking distance right. for them. Uh, but so they were, they, they probably knew these people. They probably, you know, bought, sold crops, maybe farmed together. I, I get like the image that they all probably knew each other. Um, and that these were people that were probably important to Mary, which would be meaning they were important to Jesus. So friends and family. You can imagine that whatever or whomever was getting married, it was somebody that was important to them. Um, so who else was there? The disciples, right? So Correct. The brand new disciples. Right. So not the people that Jesus had been with for years and years, but his disciples of like, what, a week maybe? And, you know, we talked about that, that possibly... These are people that Jesus had already knew and, and hung with, so it's, po it's possible that it's all just a, you know, a, everybody knows everybody. It's also possible that these guys just met this guy, and now they're at a wedding that he wanted them to go to. <laughs> so it could be a pretty awkward situation, yes. you know, um, if you've ever been in a situation that you don't really know a lot of people, you know, you find the, the closest corner and just kind of kick your heel, you know, and you just try to bide the time, you know. Uh, but again, it, it could be that they were all yucking it up with each other and they all knew each other. So the Bible truly does not say that is a, what would the word be? That's a... Kind of an inference on our yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that, open uh, to interpretation. You get that feel from, though, when he was calling his disciples that they knew each other because Correct. Andrew says... I, I know somebody I want to tell about this guy. Right. And it seems like all of the first disciples, that's kind of the situation. Hey, I want to go show uh, uh, Nathaniel. I'm going to go tell Nathaniel about this guy because we had this discussion a couple of months ago about the Messiah. So the last time we had no, I, radio I mean, hour. I mean, <laughs> but it does seem like I mean, I mean him and Nathaniel sure, had this conversation sure. a couple months ago about the Messiah potential. So you get that feel that they, they went to the people that they knew and they say, hey, I think this is Messiah. Can you believe, can you imagine the affirmation that comes when these guys kind of in faith say, okay, we're going to follow sure. this guy. And they go to the wedding and then they see this miracle happen. What a, um, you know, a stamp of affirmation that God is affirming 
the decision that you've made well, in the, faith. The scripture straight up tells us that the purpose of this is to show the glory of Jesus and to confirm his disciples. You, you made a good choice by following this guy. John 2, 11 confirms it, confirms it, and his disciples believed on him. Right. Yep. So do you think there is any significance that this was performed? Uh, his first miracle could have been anything at any event. It could have been anywhere literally, and it was at a wedding. Do you think there's any significance in the fact that it was performed at a wedding ceremony? Oh. I had a, a, it's not a thought, it's something I had heard that um, the man said, if you're writing a biography about somebody, you want to choose the most prominent things to write about them. And he said it's one, one reason why he believes this miracle is first, because it's so nothing, in, in essence. He, he stated it like this, weddings would last three, four days. And he said they've ran out of their wine. Well, so the party's going to end a day early. Who cares? So why would the savior of the world try to save this guy's party? And that's where he said that simple miracle alone makes it even more apparent to him that Jesus is who he says he is because his first miracle could have been dropping a mountain, but yet he saves this guy's high, the master of the party. Um, so for a nobody, and thus, though, saving the man, the master of the ceremony's party, truly showed himself to be the master of the ceremony. Well, I think there's two things here. One is to understand that I think that's part of God saying marriage is important. Right. Weddings are important. Right. A, a vow to uh, another person to commit your life to that person for marriage is a big deal to God. I, I, maybe I'm way well, out of bounds, but I have to say, well, for me personally, it seems like he's showing how important the marriage as an institution is. Well, because we ha have that in creation also, that, that the uh, wedding ceremony is the first ceremony, uh, the joke about marriage being the first institution uh of course that word meant something you know several hundred years ago that it, it doesn't mean now uh type thing because the old joke is well who wants to belong to an institution <laughs> but with all with all due respect to marriage it was the first ceremony what god did not create his church first god did not create government first uh, fill in the blank. He created Economy marriage. First, right. right. He created marriage first, and so for Jesus to basically do the same thing, you know, that, that, that he honors marriage, the very first thing. Oh yeah, and I, and I think we'll absolutely get into it. And I guess you know I didn't go deep enough in what I was saying also, but yeah, it's the culmination of Christ's work. His the bridegroom coming for his bride. Right. That's in the last chapters of his. You know, that hasn't happened yet. But, yeah, so with it being at a wedding, it's absolutely, absolutely sure. the full circle. Sure. It's also pointed out that Jesus didn't do this at a circumcision. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It wasn't a miracle of circumcision. Thank goodness. Yeah. Who wants it to explain that? Party. Party. Right. And those guys said, what party did we come to? Yeah. Just circumcision being the first identification is tough enough. <laughs> That's right. Thank the Lord it wasn't his first miracle. I, I, amen. It, so it was at a party, a festival that and Jesus And what would he have done? What, what would the miracle yeah, be? Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> <say that. laughs> See, this is where we just got to stop. We're just going to stop and, yeah. that there. All right, that example. I, Sorry, yeah, got to choose my examples better. Yeah, uh, but it was a party. Shame on us for being the the stick in the mud at the party. Right. Jesus yeah. was the center of the party. Yeah, he right. was. Um, so Christianity should be filled with joy and and uh, fellowship. And so, part of the custom of the day as to why this, you know, on the surface may not seem like that big of a deal, but for the customs of the day, it was a huge deal. If you had a wedding was huge, it was as big as it got. It was culturally the biggest thing going was pretty much at a wedding. This was before bowling alleys. This was, face I mean, this was before Netflix. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you oh, got to yeah. consider. Skating. Yeah. So, uh, if they you. They did have dreidels, but that yeah. was. There you go. So, the bridegroom, and this is, um, this is John MacArthur's sermon on this, which, I mean, by all means, please listen to this. It is fantastic. Um, if you are, have no. Um, YouTube, please. YouTube, John MacArthur, First Miracle, and it's just a blessing. But when he was describing this, he said the bridegroom, they had their betrothal, and then you were betrothed for a year, which was a binding agreement. We talked about that with Mary and Joseph. Right. So in that year's time, before they have this wedding ceremony, the bridegroom is spending all that time preparing 
for his bride, preparing a home, furnishing it, um, essentially proving himself. And right. he is also paying for and planning this wedding. Like nowadays, the bride, man, she's got that wedding knocked out. The groom is just like, when do I show up? But that was not the case for this. Like he was planning all the food and paying for it and gathering what he needed to make this party happen. And it wasn't just a one-day thing. It was days, like right. up to seven days, this feast would go on. And so he's essentially trying to prove to his future family, to his community, that I've got what it takes. I'm worthy. Yeah, I, I can handle this. I'm going to take care of this woman. I mean, this is, this is like all the, all the cards are on the table at this wedding ceremony. So if he ran out of wine on day two or three, or I mean, it looks bad. It right. is devastating. In fact, um, something I read said that it was like a, a disgrace, almost a permanent disgrace, like a scar. you didn't ever overcome. Right, like a scar on your existence and your community because you weren't prepared for the wedding. Right. And uh, so I personally think that Mary is concerned because she loves these people and she knows the disgrace that's about to come down right. on this family. And uh, how ironic that his first miracle is for friends and family. It's for right. people he knew. Um, probably they knew him. We have to. We, we can assume. We don't know for sure. But surely for Mary especially, obviously, she came to Jesus and right. knew he could do something. Well, it, oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead Thomas. Uh, and, and that's what I was alluding to was when it, in um, verse 8 there it says, And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And for what I studied is the master of the feast was like the wedding planner. Yeah. This was the guy like that put it on. Yeah. yeah. So this guy is failing miserably at this party. And it's Jesus's first, I, I saw it as he saved this dude's tail and Jesus didn't take any of the credit. He took it to the master of the feast that was supposed to like be able the to. servants took him. Jesus wasn't even like, I've created wine yeah. so, out of nothing. So Jesus, <laughs> nothing Jesus like says, take it to the master right. of the thing. That man gets all the credit for what Jesus did, and that is, in essence, what our life is. We get the credit for what Jesus did for us. So it's the first sign of almost sacrifice for Jesus. He just sat back and let that Picture dude bask in his right. glory. Yeah. That's right. he, he also, I, I always picture in my mind what's going on. And you, you know you've been to places where something's going on, and you can see people bustling them out, and you try to figure out what's going on, and, then, and you see one person that obviously knows that something's happening, and that, that apparently is Mary here, and she goes to the, she goes over to Jesus and she says, "They've run out of wine." And, and he said, "What do you, what, what do I have to do with this?" And then she goes over to the other guys, knowing that Jesus would respect his mother. She says, "Do whatever he tells you to do." So these guys, well, she knows something we don't know. So yeah. they're just waiting for the order. It's just interesting to watch how that would happen in a party. And, and she had heard the, the angel. She knew who Jesus was. Sure. She believed. And, you know, and he says there in reference, he says, my hour has not yet come. Right. And the Bible, when he references that, he's talking about the hour of his death. And, and that was something that was curious to me in the study was talking about when he talks about this is my body, this is my blood. And so I saw the similarities there when he says my hour has not yet come, yet he is providing the wine, the, the drink for the party. But you save me here. You know what I'm so, saying? So yeah. The blood. The blood, yeah. So, and us. it was like the first precursor of him showing, my hour is not there's yet come. There's a lot come. of pictures here. Right. Yeah, there's okay. a lot of pictures in this miracle. And something, too, with that is, um, just going back, Moses turned water into blood. Well, God did. But through Moses, water was turned into blood. Blood meaning death. And, and things died. They didn't have water. They couldn't right. drink the water. The animals couldn't have it. There was death surrounding all of that curse. Um and then in this picture, he has water turned into wine, which is life or symbolic, symbolic of his blood, of his blood, blood and which our brings life, life into him. So. Good stuff. I, I, you know, this will be one of those questions that, that after the kajillion years that we've lived in heaven, we might get around to asking. But you have to wonder if this was like it would be with your mother or my mother or your mother or your mother. Because if it's with my mother, I'm going to say basically the same thing. Hun, I moved out of your house 20 years ago. You know, my, mind your business. 
And I, is, is what and I'd I'm be telling almost her. wondering if that's right. not, I have heard two different things And on she this. would yeah. still go to the servants and say, do whatever he says. Because <laughs> he doesn't say mom, he says woman. woman. Right. And I've right. heard people say, I've uh, commentaries on this, that, that that woman, you know, if my husband comes up to me and says woman, woman. just for the record, that's not going to go over well. <laughs> but in this day and age, Woman was like saying, "Ma'am." Right. It wasn't meant to be cruel, sure. but he didn't say "mother,", mother right. yeah. and it's yeah. almost like he's distancing himself. Like I and Joseph is probably as all sons try as, to do. As I've tried to explain, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right there. I'm gonna stop well, and not he, chase that rabbit. But he's saying, "My ministry <laughs> is starting. I have served you." My um, we have to assume maybe Joseph is passed by this point mm-hmm. and he's probably the man of the house and kind of sure. in charge of, and she pro- maybe she just involved Jesus because that's who she went to with problems. Good point. Because Joseph yeah. maybe was it, gone. I'm not saying that it you know has to be a, a in other words that this has to be indicate a problem. A stern response. A, as much uh-huh. as you know, like you said I won't chase the rabbit but I, I can assure you that in my 30-some-odd years of manhood, I have had my moments where I've had to establish yeah. the boundaries, you know, type thing. And, he, and he shows his love for her, like when he was on the cross, behold your no mother. No doubt. You know, no so. doubt. Well, you know, he's without sin. Right. So we know that he did not, you know, basically uh, the, push her off. The Presbyterian uh, message that Tom shared with us, that he points out that he's not necessarily... What, what do you think about at a wedding... You think about what they're going through, but you also think about your potential uh, event, mm-hmm. and that may be what he's thinking about. It's not my event. This isn't my event. Ah. This is my wedding. Yeah. This is. But he's thinking about his future future wedding, wedding and it's going to take him dying. Mm-hmm. So he he laid it out like his woman is his stress during this. Everybody else is having a good time, and he's picturing what it's going to take for his own wedding. He said, because when you go to a wedding, yeah, you look at the bride, you look at all the fancy cakes. But if you're, you're a single man. If you're a single man, and if, and if you're not married, you're thinking about what is it going to be like for you? Well, for Jesus to marry his bride, he had to die. And so he, he, he wrapped it up as like, this could have been a terribly stressful event for Jesus, just picturing this wedding. And in, in order for Jesus's wedding to be perfect, these things have to happen. And that was yet another reason why he wanted these people's wedding to be perfect, and that's why he turned the water into wine. So it, it didn't die. He was there. So why does it say, or why do you think? I don't know if we will know this answer for mm-hmm. sure. Um, that the master of the ceremonies, if you will, said that his wine um, was superior. So that everyone brings out the choice wine first, but you've saved the best until now. So his wine was clearly superior. Why do you feel that is? Any thoughts? Any? Well, one thing you said was, you know, Moses was able to turn water into stuff, but it was blood, and it was a curse pre-Jesus. Well, Jesus turns water into stuff, but it's a blessing. It's life. So that's why the correlation between the the normal whatever wine, Jesus' wine is so much far better. So it's been done before, but it was a curse. As Jesus does it, it, it's the best there is. The highest quality. One One of the things that we just as our family experienced when we went to California. California is wine country. And we just wanted to try the grape juice when we got there. And it's a whole different level of grape juice. We've shared the story. You can buy grape juice in St. James that's really good. I mean, it's excellent fresh grape juice. But if you buy it in California at one of these Napa Valley vineyards, it's a whole nother level of good. And they blend it. They take a mixture of different grapes and they put it together. And it's, you can just tell it's a different quality product. I, I take the same thing to this passage of scripture. The maker of all forms of grapes and all varieties of grapes has a blend that is just another level above the average blend of, of wine or, or um, juice from the vine. I'm just so. getting a little imaginative here, but um, maybe it was a, like a taste of heaven almost. Like maybe it was a taste of something that, because Je- Jesus is God with skin on here on earth and he created something um, and I think heaven's going to be things that it's the best we've ever seen, best right. we've ever heard, best we've ever, like, every experience is just <laughs> the best ever. And so here he's created something, um, something out of nothing. Again, he is the creator. I mean, usually when you want wine, you have to have 
dirt and seed and water and sunlight and the perfume and water and they've it's got to be soil and cultivated and all and and he bypassed all of that and just here's wine right. um and it's probably maybe it's a taste of what heaven is like the best of everything well, he wouldn't have made like well i'm going to make something but it's not going to really be mind-blowing or anything one of the best uh <laughs> preachers in the southern baptist uh, work says because you know there's the word shekinah glory it's the word in the old testament that's used for god's glory that uh and, and i i don't think he's trying to make a doctrine out of this as much as he was just spiritualizing in his sermon and he said essentially that once the water was exposed to the shekinah glory of god it blushed hmm. and turned you know into wine i, I like that I, again I don't wouldn't build any kind of doctrine. I, uh, not on trying it. to not trying to make a statement, but no. my mind just likes to imagine sometimes. And right. it's just a thought. Have you, have you ever had a food and, and the, the best compliment you could give it uh, you know, you tasted something here on earth and it was just oh my gosh, over the top good and you thought this is gonna be in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> right, amen. Amen. You got some pork sausage from... Uh, <laughs> Don't get me started on <laughs> pigs. Well, mine was going to be cheesecake. That might bring there you back. There you I'll go. There you go. All right, so we'll stop there. Anybody else? Any other? I'm good. All right, we'll save it for the next topic. So um, I'm just saying, anyone? Uh, I had one, yeah. I'm just saying, yesterday when I was stuck in Ben's Field, muddy <laughs> truck, I heard spring peepers in the lake across in the Blues Field. Just close. saying, it's getting close. What's a spring I'm peeper? Just the frogs. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. All those yeah. little things around the pond. Yeah. So I'm just saying because we canceled last week, and Gavin alluded to it when he said it had been a month since we talked about it, and it had, in his defense, been two weeks. This is the most cancellations I've ever known on Wednesday nights since we've been coming here for however many years. And the Farmer's Almanac said it was going to be a bad winter. And I'm yeah. like, that Farmer's it, Almanac is always wrong. And it was dead, it was, on, it was dead this on this year. I'm just saying they were right about the nasty weather. You know, for the last four years, people have said it's going to be a bad winter. It's going to be a bad it, winter. It hasn't. It hasn't. It's been building. But, but, but this, one, <laughs> this one has been. Well, that's like winter. the 500-year flood. We've had like three of them yeah, in the past oh, yeah, four years. Every, it's like, they need to rename some stuff. Like the every seven-year floods. Yeah. Much <laughs> well, more common. So, so, go ahead. You got one? Yeah. Go ahead. But, but, uh, either way. I'm just saying, I have learned once again that bad days are not always punishment. Sometimes they're positioning. positioning. Just trying to get you where you need to be so that you can mm. do what it is that God wants you to do. But he's got a block where you're trying to go. Till you got no other choice but to go this I way. I bet I work out out like that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that happened last night. I got stuck in your field, and I was going to take a Bethel van home. And CR was here, and I was taking my keys, and I was leaving. I'm like, God ain't a God of coincidence. I can sit in CR. It blessed me. Yeah. You know, and it's like I'm sitting there, and I'm like, you stuck my truck in a field, so I'd come tonight, didn't you? So and it was it's a good plug for CR. Did you finally give up meth, Tom? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, they, they, they own it till Easter the Easter walk will fail <laughs> dramatically if I get off. Uh, We're kidding, uh, folks. Yes. We're kidding. Go ahead, Gabe. This leads right into my, I'm just saying, I learned a new term this week. I put a, posted on Facebook. Has anybody heard the term scromiting? Scromiting? Scromiting. It's a new term. Screaming and vomiting. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Every man does that. Why can't, can't men just throw up quiet? They've got to, like... I this call is it throwing up from your toes. Oh, Cannabinosis is what this is a result of. Too much marijuana, smoking too much marijuana. Cannabinoid. This took a dark turn fast. It did. It what did. are you looking up, Gavin? I was on Gavin? board with the vomit scream, <laughs> I, but... I, I thought know. we were going to do the I alcohol thing first, there. but th th this worked in perfectly with Tom's. So my, I'm just saying that's just one toke over the line. When you scream when you vomit because you're in such pain, that's just one toke over the line. I, I didn't know that you could vomit without screaming. No. <laughs> well, a apparently woman can this have is... a stomach virus and vomit. Nobody knows, and she goes right back to taking care of the kids where she left off. But a man, <laughs> Lorda, yeah. help us. They've got to scream. Everybody's got to know what's happening. Stay away. Well, if I throw up, Get me, call 911, don't stop, go right to the phone. I haven't vomited since 1982, <laughs> last time I threw up. Nice. Wow. It must, are you so, taking Juice Plus? Just I'm on Juice Plus. Juice are plus. you Juice Plus? <laughs> no, I'm not smoking marijuana either. So. I don't know. I guess 
And you are eating pigs regularly, right? All this leads back to CR. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, come with me next Sunday night. We got a great study in there. It's all confidential. We can talk about it. Can't even bring it back from there. So, Um, so we'll go on to the next question. And uh, topic two is kind of a continuation of this, as much as I think we're all kind of politely avoiding it. so people that, you know, Christians and non-Christians like, you hear people say, oh, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so therefore, bottoms up. Um, was the wine that Jesus created in this miracle alcoholic or fermented or non-fermented? What is your opinion? So I've heard it taught both ways. Okay. Yo, yeah, you bet. I have to. Uh, I will say this, for the most part, the only place that I have heard it taught that it was not fermented is from Baptist circles and the such. Uh, I'm not personally aware of any other denomination that takes that stand, but but there may be. And, and, you know, this might be a good place for the disclaimer that if you partake, we're not shooting at you and such. We're trying to explain where we are at and why we're there type deal. But... Being a teetotaler and, and being trained and taught all my life that the Bible supports that and the such, I personally do not believe that it was fermented or alcoholic. I, you know, don't have any more firm, uh, well, firm's not the right word because it's firm for me, but I don't have a convincing argument, quote unquote, for the world any more than they do that it was, you know, type thing. Uh, and I, I'll share my arguments here in a minute. But um, I certainly believe that it was non-fermented. I believe it was the purest grape juice that's ever been drank and, and as such. So, so yeah, I, I haven't done a study on it, and I have to admit that I, I, I lean toward it being fermented versus non-fermented. And I'll explain a little bit more why. Uh, I, I've seen this, this is used as an example in creation. And, and I don't know that it's a good one, but it's been... A lot of people have used this instance of God being able to make things with the appearance and characteristics of age. So he could have put the world, you know, the the appearance of age being in creation um, in what scientists call ancient rocks that the world could be brand new with that appearance and characteristic. If he made wine, which is fermented, it takes time for that product to, to be made. Jesus made it that way. That's the argument that they, they give. So, again, I, I haven't spent a lot of time studying the words that are used, the type of word that's used, but I, I have the, the uh, I guess the, I've, I've been a little bit of the opinion that it is fermented. Um, and there, that comes with a lot of baggage, though. It, it goes against a lot of warnings in Scripture. There, there are a lot of scriptural warnings against um, fermented drink and its influences. So, um, yeah, i, I got to say I'm not really clear on that. I, now, one thing I just want to point out about the whole age thing, he created Adam with age, created right. Eve with age. Everybody else started as a baby. So he, he certainly can. Amen. He, he, Amen. He, can, he can do whatever he wants, you know, type thing. Tom, you got an opinion? Oh, yeah. Um, my first off opinion is I really don't think it matters. I think for the people that make it matter, it's their crutch they're hanging on. It's sure. for their pro or their against stance. Sure. And I and that's where, you know, I think the the water can get muddy so quick sure. when you go down that rabbit hole and start battling with somebody. I I know a man that lives in St. Clair, he's a winemaker. You know, and we had this talk and he's like, and it was the best wine and it was the frothiest wine and but we still praise Jesus and right. I was like, you know, cool. Right. You know, but um, I am along the lines of that. I do believe it was fermented, but because I believe that God creates greatness in all things. Sure. And I think he gives us the ability to abuse all things and he gives us warnings to not abuse things. Sure. So although and me and Terry had a great talk. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense because he knows human nature. And if you make the best wine, you're going to have some tore up people probably. I don't see Jesus doing that, knowing what they would do. Yeah, that was one of my discussions was he has put very clear parameters on not being drunk. I mean, that is black and white. You can't avoid that in the scripture that is very black and white. And then he also has said specific people and groups of people were never to have fermented drink. Aaron, 
some priest tribes. He said of John the Baptist, he was never to have fermented drink. Nazarite I have, vow. have to assume for Jesus himself, he probably would not oh. have fermented drink. So then I thought, well, well, then why would he create fermented drink? It's just a thought. Right. And, and, and you know, you've got the, the God does not tempt man to sin, you know, and such. I, I think that, again, uh, Tom pretty well hit it on the head. Uh, one fellow put it this way, where you start determines where you end up a lot of times. Right. And so if you, if you start with the premise, well, I think it's okay to drink, you're going to lean that way. You know, you start with the premise that, oh, my goodness, no. You know, you're probably going to lean that way. So, so then you have to ask the question, what does the Bible support, you know? And, and then, yes, you can probably use passages and scriptures on, on both sides. Uh, Gavin's already pointed out that, and, and you did, did just then also, that the lion's share of scripture throws fermented alcohol in a negative light. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and again, the, you got the strict prohibition against drunkenness. And, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer in the dark ages. We, we know what's going on. We have clinical, all those things done now. Some people are predisposed chemically to be addicted to alcohol. So the only way for those folks to avoid alcoholism and the destructiveness of it is to never take the first drink. Right. And, and, and how many lives would be, how many people would be alive if... A given person had never started. Donnie never Tipton started. would be alive. And, and, and that's where I, and we talked about that. I don't disagree with that at all. Sure. But when the world is battling you, oh. they're going to say, okay, yeah, you look right. like an idiot. Yeah, they're going to say, yeah, it, it does, it, it will kill four people on a highway when they're drunk, you know? But then they just turn around and say, well, so will eat yourself to death, and so will pack in your lip with tobacco. More, tens, ten times the amount of people die of tobacco every year. And I always call it slow suicide. But yet, they, and that's where the world's like, well, I can drink, I can drink, I can drink, and you don't care about all these things. You know, and that's There's where I just try to stay away from the discussion. You know, and I'm just going to be honest here. I had a time in my life where I probably drank more alcohol than you should drink in a lifetime. Thinner. And, and yes, yes. <laughs> some thinner. So, so, and I, that has stayed well with played. me. I, I, honestly, I still struggle with, to this day, in certain circumstances with, with wanting alcohol. And I had a lapse Like when one your time. in-laws come over. <laughs> Just kidding. When you order pizza. Is that oh, when, is yeah, that when you're, it comes with it? the pizza. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Deacon, you tell me. So, uh, depends on how you order. Uh, so I, I had a, a circumstance where I was, I had a friend who was leaning Christian and I had a lapse, and you could tell, you could smell it on my breath. I could tell when it hit him that he smelled it on my breath. And I lost every bit of traction and credibility that I had gained with him in my testimony. When you walk into somebody's house, and you, you're talking to them, and then all of a sudden you realize they're drunk, what is, how do you feel about that person? I mean, yeah. there, there's some, some respect that's lost, I think, sometimes, and some traction with the gospel that has dramatically lost when you say that you you love God and you live according to his uh, power and his standards is that not enough do you need alcohol too right and and I, I'm not saying that there's not a place for alcohol I, I understand I'm not shooting anybody down that right does I'm just saying that refer back to do the disclaimer you need, do you need is it the gospel and alcohol are they compatible with each other. I just feel like there's a contradiction there. there there's two things that don't mix, oil and water. But Well, and, and with that said, uh, I've shared this with Gavin. That's great to have a good support group. That's great about CR. You know, we got to talk about struggles. That is, uh, you know, I remember the look on your face when I talked to you about when I got back from the military. I realized at one point I had a problem mm. when I started craving alcohol. It was 9.30 in the morning, and I'm like, it's Saturday. I can drink, you know? Sure. And it's like... You know, they, they said that alcoholism, uh, blacking out is a sign of alcoholism. And at my peak, I couldn't tell you a time I didn't black out. And it is a constant daily struggle. Alcohol has to be one of the hardest things to break, you know, and it, it's a daily struggle. And so I absolutely understand, like, a church's position saying, 
We don't do that. Sure. Just don't even start. It's for the kids, for one. Starting with the kids. You know, adults, sure. we've all screwed up in our own way. So I understand it, and I support it a thousand percent. And I had to humble myself exactly what you were saying to a family I've been trying to win. And this is why this was so fresh with me, because this was one of my drinking buddies growing up. This is when I first started coming to church. We still hung out. We still drank. When I started getting more serious in church, it'd be every other party I'd drink with them. And then I wouldn't drink a couple parties, and then I would, you know. Well, and so when I finally graduated into the no drinking class, I was still trying to get them to come to this church. And and they struggled with the drinking. Sure. And I had to humble myself to him and say, I made myself a hypocrite to you. You know, I said, I, I went to a church that don't believe in it, and you've seen me do it, but I don't do it no more. And, and that's where I told him, I said, but this is where the difference is. I said, don't let that one line right. keep you from changing you and your family's life. You bet. And when you do keep that one line from changing in your family's life, that's ultimately when it becomes a sin. And on the vice versa, if, if you leave a church because of that one line, that's where we say that you're choosing that over something that's been blessing you for how long? Right. And so, yeah, I, I ultimately, I think it comes to a personal decision. It is extremely hard. But, um, yeah. And there's, there's something to be said to committing to a church that, that uh, embraces a strict and no-alcohol policy. It's essentially taking the Nazarite vow. You're going to pursue spiritual things over... Uh, other things that would influence you otherwise. Well, we, we well, talked just, I'm sorry, we just, we talked just last week about having a constant awareness. We said, you know, Jesus comes like a thief in the night. And I had a friend, he always said, you know, he's like, I don't want to have whiskey on my breath if Jesus shows up. Mm. I don't want to be three, four beers yeah. in if Jesus shows up. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of those things. If you're living thinking he could be back, it's probably going to keep you away from it. My, Amen. my dad used to say three sheets to the wind. That was his favorite uh, characterization. He was a sailor. Something. He knew that. Oh, no doubt. So my question, and I don't want to miss this, is if someone's listening right now in the audience or in the future, and they don't share the same convictions about alcohol, is Bethel still a, a place for them? Oh, absolutely. Only and, if you love Jesus. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so, so first of all, let, let's share some really, really good stories for, for a second, and then I'm going to answer your question. Uh, my dad's my favorite story of my dad's, him and James Lewis were best friends as kids, and they grew up apart from each other, ended up in the Navy, found each other at Hawaii at a bar in the Navy. And so they were three sheets to the wind, and Dad says, James, can you still crow like a rooster? And he says, oh, yeah. So he gets him up on the bar. And he gathers all the patrons around and says, James Lewis is going to crow for you. He can really crow. And he goes to crow, and he throws up on all of those people. And I said, Dad, what happened? He said, we got First thrown out on our ear. <laughs> First instance Scromedy. of that's right. And then uh, Don Crisius' favorite joke is, if you're not a Baptist, don't take just one Baptist fishing with you. Right. If oh, you do, boy. he'll drink all your beer. You got to take two Baptists with you because then they won't drink. I wasn't right. going to tell all my good Baptist <laughs> drinking jokes. I was going to, for Here, every four Baptists, there's a fifth. Right, right. Yeah. It must be Baptist night at the liquor store because everybody's parked in the back. <laughs> so is this place good. for you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's the uniqueness of this church. That's the uniqueness of CR. We've had men stand up here and say, I struggle Amen. with it. You know, it's hard to even say you've struggled with it, but I have never felt one guilt in this church. And I think as long as you're willing to admit that, yeah, I'm a sinner and I've struggled with things, maybe this is my pet sin, maybe yours is pornography, whatever it is, right. it's a wonderful church to come because we're Amen. all broken. And Jesus well, is the only one that can fix and it. And Gavin said, it, we were texting and discussing, I think all of us were kind of shy of having to go here because, I mean, alcohol is... It is what it is, yeah. and um, difficult. Well, it's to talk socially about. accepted. Well, period. and that's another End of thing. Story. Culturally, in the day, to go back to the cultural setting, to get drunk was socially unacceptable. I right. mean, it was like, what is wrong with you? It was not. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, it's socially acceptable to drink, to get drunk, and there's something wrong with you if you don't. So we're living in two culturally completely different times. Another reason why I don't think it personally that it was fermented right. because I don't think they would have wanted to be drunk. And they didn't want that stigma. And also, I think they said, you saved the best for last because it had not fermented. It was very pure. 
my personal interpretation of that, and I will not know, and not that it even matters, but I think it was unfermented because it was so pure, um, and it tasted so great, and, and it wasn't, if it had been the fermented wine, it, that's the last, it's like the worst of it, and everybody's already full, and you know, whatever, they've been here for days and ready to go home, and so who cares what they're serving now? What Jesus gave them was was perfect and pure, and like unleavened bread, and and, and I believe sure. unfermented, and it was very very good, um, and that's why it was considered superior because it hadn't fermented yet, which they would have considered inferior, and probably for reasons like they didn't socially want to be intoxicated in public. Right. And that that still is belief. a custom overseas. When I was in the military, Article Number One is pornography. Article number two is alcohol. And even on the military bases, they ration your alcohol because it is so looked upon negatively over there in, you know, Middle East land. So uh, let me basically share with everybody very quickly that uh, we have a lot of folks that attend. You'll hear me say on a regular occasion, members and attenders. And if I can come up with a better phrase than attenders, I, I would love to because I don't want people to think, well, yeah, I'm just an attender. That's not what I'm trying to say. I am trying to say that you have gotten to the point that you're, you're here a lot, and we appreciate that, and we take notice of that. And so, so we want to recognize that. And so I, I don't, uh, I guess, what would the word be? I don't count you out. And just say members, because if I just said members all the time, the folks that do attend regularly, I'm sure, would think, well, do I not count? A absolutely. Amen. So, uh, members and attenders. And one of the reasons, not, not certainly all, but one of the reasons that folks attend but have not become members is this very issue. And so, in my humble opinion, without us having to explain ourselves every Sunday or even every year for that matter, they have accepted the fact that, okay, we, we disagree in this area, but we're not going to let that stop us from receiving what we receive on a Sunday in, Sunday out basis. Amen. And I'm not just talking about the preaching. I'm talking about the whole enchilada, Sunday school, fellowship. worship, fellowship, every, everything. They, they love what they're getting here. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. I have to believe that if the Holy Spirit wants them to be members, He will convince them to that point Amen. sooner or later. Amen. And I stand ready to sit down with any of those folks and go through, uh, as my mother used to say, tit for tat, on why we have taken the stand. And, and I like the term, a loving stand. We've taken a loving stand on alcohol. We don't beat up people, you know, if they drink socially, and that's between them and God type thing. But if you want to know what we think the Bible says, we will be glad to share it with you type thing. And it's like Gavin had said, whenever he's seen uh, repeatedly, he has seen that people as they grow closer and closer and deeper into their spiritual walk and uh, more led um, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that their desire for alcohol wanes off. You bet. It's a natural progression. Yeah. Very, very consistent with Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be, be filled with the Spirit. So two competitors for control of your who you are. And, and, and very, because we, we do need to, are, are we going to come back to this topic? No, or are we gonna, this is it. So closing right. statements. Closing statement. Final argument. Here's my slam dunk argument, and it, it doesn't work for anybody else, but it works for me type thing. There's a strict prohibition in the Old Testament Proverbs, look not upon the wine when it holdeth itself aright, when it has its color, and the such. He's talking about fermentation. That's a, for me, that's a strict prohibition against drinking fermented or alcoholic beverage. I believe that Christ sustained that, and I, I, because of that prohibition, I don't believe Christ drank wine, meaning fermented and such. So why do we have the confusion that we have? The scholars of the 1611 King James First English Bible, it wasn't the first, but I, I think you all understand what I mean by that. They, instead of translating the three Greek words that can mean grape juice, wine, which is fermented, and then there was a jelly substance that Jewish people in that day used, they didn't have refrigeration like we have. They didn't have distilleries like we have and such. So they would literally 
turn their grape juice into a jelly substance that they would put in water later, uh, weeks and months later, to have some kind of a flavor in the water. Or simply to kill the bacteria. No because, doubt. I mean, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't have safe drinking water. Right. They depended on some of that alcohol to kill bacteria right. in their water. It was an important process. So instead of us, in our translations, reading grape juice or this jelly-like substance or wine... They just translated all three words, wine. That has led to a lot of misunderstanding and frustration. Because we say wine and we say grape juice and know those to be two totally different things. But even up until the 1800s, if you look at the first packaging of Welch's, it says Welch's unfermented wine. Hmm. They didn't have a word for grape juice. It was right. un Welch's unfermented wine. Right. So, I mean, anyway. My slam dunk thing, and uh, we'll wrap it up on this, unless you really feel like you can beat it. But um, I like the call out. I know. Bring, well, bring it. So, it's going to be real spiritual, so she, we're not going to be able to beat yeah. it. So uh, Jimmy Evans, I don't know, uh, he's a, a pastor. We've done a lot of his studies in our small group, and he was discussing um, his testimony. He gave his full testimony, and he talked about in his day, I mean, he was getting it. He was he was drinking and girls in and it, it just bad. I mean, he laid it out there. He's like, I was a sinner and I didn't have any guilt about it. Um, and when he finally accepted the Lord when he was 19 or 20 years old, I think it was, and he said, I, I gave it all up and I went to my friends and I just said, I, I'm done. He said, I, I was convicted to even have those friends because I knew I couldn't carry on with that lifestyle and I had to just separate myself. And he said, the first lie Satan told him was, you'll never have fun again. Mm. And I think that that's what keeps a lot of people from maybe, well, if I can't have alcohol, I can't have fun anymore. Amen. And I think that's a lie that Satan tells all of us. Certainly me too. Well, I mean, look at everybody else having fun. See what you're missing out on. Don't you right. want to have fun like that? And he said, I've had fun. My whole life I've had fun. I've had nothing but fun being a Christian. And he said, in fact, I saw of those 10 guys I was friends with, only one other person became a Christian and gave up on the drinking life. So the rest of them did. And he said, I had to say, a lot of them have died young. Mm. And the ones that haven't, they look aged. They look rough. They look tired. They look sickly. And he said, and I've seen the blessing that I, I, I'm married. I haven't been through multiple relationships and divorces and jobs and everything else. I've just had a, a piece that they didn't get to have because they were having, quote, fun that Satan said I was going to be missing out on. Uh, Brother Larry asks, negotiable or non-negotiable? So is this a non-issue? It is a non-issue from the standpoint that we will not judge people that drink and, and, and we're not going to make it a test of fellowship. It is an issue if you want to be a member. And, and at that point, we just need to sit down and talk it through. Very good. All right. Um, would you rather, Ben, your favorite topic? Would you rather? I've got a good one, too. Uh, and you're going to have to think about this. This is, this is kind of serious. And what I'm looking for is which one of these you believe would have the greater impact. Okay? Would you rather be the cause? So you're going to be a soul winner. You're going to be the cause of a guaranteed revival among the rank-and-file liberal, option number one, or the media, option number two. So you can only win one of them to Christ. There's a difference? Oh, I picked the media. Yeah, there's oh. absolutely a difference. <laughs> oh, that's a good call. The, <laughs> the, the rank-and-file liberals wasn't paying attention. Yeah. are the people that are listening to the media, oh. if you will. and Because and, and I, I can argue both sides. But I'm just curious what you guys think. Guaranteed revival with one of them, but you got to choose. Either the rank and file liberal yep. or what was the other one? Or the media. Or the media. Because so the media is the, the elite liberal. The media oh. will start telling the truth. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this yeah. Is, this is my opinion. No if more you, false news. And uh, just observation from a uh, homie from St. Clair. If Gavin just said homie from Gavin just said homie. That's yeah. what I think when I see the Gavin. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. That's a, yeah. Go ahead. Just saying. If you were to convert one person in the media, that's kind of the liberal um, guy, he would change the rest. I, I think they so follow if, from the top down. If Cooper hmm. Anderson 
I was thinking Bill Maher. Here? Yeah. I, I think from the top down, they would change. Z Amen. I just feel I, I've gotten the impression so whatever the person for top Cooper Anderson and Bill Maher, yeah, okay. Maher. Barack top Obama, of the, all of them. Somebody friend them on Facebook and send them an Easter walk. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean maybe that. if they find out we have a camel. <laughs> That's it. It's bringing them. <laughs> That's awesome. Anybody else, Tom? Uh, oh, I would. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one. If you got a would you rather? Oh, I do have a would you rather. Would you rather be cold from the second you step out? and stay cold all day. Mm. Or like today, it starts to warm up, you like it, and then it gets cold again and just crushes your spirits. It's such a spirits. slap in the face, isn't it? That is actually a good one. Yeah. I've got to warm up sooner or later or I'm not gonna make it. I know, but do you want to get like the excitement? Like, cause we heard Robins today and stuff and then it got cold again and we're like, dang it. <laughs> I just almost want to be disappointed all day. That's what makes day. the sap run, bro. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Oh, I'm just saying, I'm, I don't have a would you rather, but that just made me think. I'm just saying, when I'm retired, you will find me way closer to the equator most <laughs> of the year. I will be that girl. I can't take it. Do not love this weather. Anybody else? Or we'll move on to the final topic in our, in our last 10 minutes. No more screaming, puking stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you got Scrumbling. something on that. Yeah, I didn't see that sure. coming. And I Do a demonstration. Scrumbling. Scrumbling. I just assumed that's what all men just did. I didn't know that that, that was... Apparently, this another is a way. whole other level, Tara. Yep. Well, I'm pretty familiar. I'm just. Larry <laughs> says Hitler controlled the media to help control Germany. True. That's true. Um, so, Ben sent a, a topic um, via, it was on foxnews.com, and it was an article that a woman had sent in, and the headline was, We were married for 10 years and lonelier than ever, and this happened and changed everything. And when you read, I won't read the entire article, it's lengthy. But essentially, she describes their 10-year anniversary, and her husband takes her out, and she's just staring at him like, I don't... She's given up. Yeah. I don't really even know who you are. I certainly don't love you, and um, I'm, I'm sick of you. Almost essentially saying, I, I want to just move on. And the hard part was, he was a pastor and a chaplain for a professional athletic team and had a, a rather large church at the time, and while he's built this you know, great ministry... Um, he has neglected his family. Um, and she says that um, what happened was she confronts, she just tells her husband and just finally gets it out and says, I'm done, I'm done with this marriage after 10 years. And what happened in the car in that moment was her husband, instead of screaming and yelling, um, he somehow in a small car gets on his hands and knees and starts praying and crying out to God and confessing his sin as a husband as neglecting his wife and um, his duties and um, and then she does the same and God essentially reveals to her that she was trying to get her happiness from her husband um, and God never made a husband to be that um, nor did he make a wife to be that for a husband uh, and then God didn't equip men to fill all, like he, spouses, she realizes in this moment that um, God didn't equip a husband to be everything that you need, not to meet all of your needs. So the horizontal re relationship right. isn't supposed to be at all. And that, that, that's kind of the thing that she points right. out. It's vertical yeah. that makes the horizontal. And right. she says that her needs were to be met by God and not by her spouse, right. and that's and it was a realization that came to both of them. I think essentially they've been built a ministry around this right. entire topic. Right, you know we quote it here quite often: uh, Christ and only Christ is our only source of significance and security. And when you buy into that, that that becomes what gets you through the day, that becomes what gets you through tough times, that becomes what keeps you down to earth when things go well, so on and so forth. Jesus and Jesus alone is my only source of significance and security. Because this is what God does, and I love this about God. He basically allows us, in my opinion, to become dissatisfied and completely have our needs unmet by our spouse to realize that he's the only one that can do that. But then he does something amazing. Then he meets your needs through your spouse. <laughs> because when you say, babe, I love you just the way you are, 
Even when you're scream puking. Even when you're scrum. That's right. And the such. Scream puking sounds so cool. <laughs> so much better. God will like absolutely change that puking. person and, and work through them and the such. Uh, because, you know, those of us that are married, we, we know that when it's right, we're knocking ourselves out for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not putting our own wants before the others. We're, we're putting their wants before hours, so on and so forth. So we've um, done a few Bible studies now on marriage because our small group is for young married couples. couples. I don't say young. I don't know. I'm in it, so I'm not that young. I don't know how you're you not the old it. couples. But I'm in Gavin's, and they asked us, like, "How old are you?" We told them, and just everybody fell off like, the place. They're like, "You're the wrong yeah. group, kid." You get kicked out of the building over to yeah. our so neck of the woods, literally. But they got um, pop tarts. But so. what we've learned is. And what they've said repeatedly through these, and it's the same theme, and it's true, that we have basic needs that yeah. we all of us have, whether we admit it or not. Uh, security, identity, purpose, acceptance, significance. What you said, significance and security. security. Uh, those are basic needs that right. we all have. And I think we're, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I think we're mostly guilty, all of us, for looking to our spouse to that one of those to meet those needs for security or acceptance. Um, and maybe uh, even friends at times and outside of your social no network, um, your, yeah, what, your family are, or your very close friends. You're finding your significant security, security from something. Right. And if it's not Christ, it's someone you're usually or something. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Something, some hobby, yeah. some yeah. working well, excessively. Yeah. Drugs. And that will always fail. Every time Always. you look to a friend or your job or your fill-in-the-blank for your security, significance, acceptance, purpose in life, it's always going to fail you. And it robs that thing of what it really can be. You know, it, it's really unfair to the situation or the person because, again, they weren't created for that, you know. So, so if you start getting it from the right person, then you can let them or that thing be what it is. You know, the, the phrase, let it be what it is, you know, it is what it is. Well, no, it ain't until you until you let it be what it is. I'm coming to the conclusion. That you know that I've been doing this study on uh, the, the what I call the core principle. When Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he gave him the Lord. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself. That's the core principle. In It creates a triangle. Love your neighbors yourself and love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Hopefully your neighbor will also be loving the Lord God. He says the second one, loving your neighbor as yourself, is like the first one. It's like loving God to love your neighbor. I think that core principle has to be established first in the home. And I think if it fails in the home, when the, when the home falls apart, I think it creates an environment where people uh, really question whether there is a God or not because that core principle didn't work in the place that it's supposed to work. And if we're loving our spouse... God feels it as love toward him. Um, so regardless of what you're struggling with with your spouse, if you can love them through that struggle, it's a, I mean, that becomes sacrificial love to God, loving them through a difficult circumstance and vice versa. The other thing, um, Denise needs a backstop to catch me when, when I'm, you know, have the tendency to go astray. And then she, she has that safety backstop of God my vertical relationship with him that, that represents her to me. I have that representation to her from the creator of all the universe. So if I have that faith and keep loving her and loving him in the meantime, he represents me to Denise. And when I'm astray, he represents Denise to me and in ways that she could never represent and trust me he's very effective at representing denise to me and and vice versa too i see the seen the same thing over the years um when i'm trusting him to do the uh represent me to her he does he's faithful to do that um and if not he's trying to teach me something through my relationship with her i see that a lot too and you that have young kids if you're struggling in a, in a relationship with your kids, I guarantee you you're having the same problem with the Lord in your relationship with the Lord. I've seen that over and over again. So God uses their relationships 
that we have around us, all of them, to show us potentially problems that we have with him or the things that he's, um, he is very pleased with, he'll show us through relationships as well. I believe I've become to the conviction that God is by design a member of every relationship, Tom and I's relationship, Ben and I's relationship, your, your and I relationship. By design, God intended to be part of that relationship. There's multiple scriptures that come to mind. One is when Paul was on the road to Damascus, Jesus intervened and he said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul didn't, as far as I know, Paul didn't meet Jesus. He was persecuting people who were following Jesus. Jesus took it personally because he was part of the relationship. I, I think that's God presumes himself in every relationship. There's multiple uh, scriptures like that where God says something uh, to someone uh, and like he's part of, the, part of the equation. David, when he said, when he sinned against Uriah, he said against you and you alone have I sinned. Well, you know, God must have been part of that relationship with Uriah too if he was the one that he sinned against. So there's multiple scriptures that that expose that principle that God has assumed in every relationship. Relationships are sacred then. Anything that has God's touch on it is sacred. Anything associated with God is sacred. It puts a whole new level to how we treat our neighbors. It puts a whole new, um, I guess, uh, standard to how we love each other at home too. Once that principle's broken at home, it's broken significantly in the lives of those in that family that's broken. So I think the fact that Jesus put his first miracle into a, a wedding is significant. He's uh, working in the workshop that he likes to work the most in, and that's the most important to him as far as personal relationship with him and those and the people around him. Wow. Good. And that's why I'm a minute over. Dr. Oh. Hooks is Dr. Hooks. He can go from screen vomiting Doctor. to that. St. <laughs> Clair homie. Well done, St. Clair homie. Uh, well somebody said. texted in, if you, in studying this, I've realized that you're setting your spouse up for failure if you put them in really a place that God is only, you're no, putting them in God's place and no they're never meant to fill that. So. Yeah. No doubt. Good stuff tonight, guys. Uh, hopefully we see you guys back next week and we'll be here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys.